0: Jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Simeon Cohen, and today we will be studying Masechet Sahim Daf Kufva. Our Daf really begins at the end of page one hundred five B, when the Gemara brings in a Bracha which discusses some of the specifications for the recitation of Havdalah. As the Bracha teaches, Anichnasu Shabbat. One who enters his home at the conclusion of Shabbat recites the blessing over the wine, and then over the light, and then over the spices, and recites Habdalah thereafter over the cup. And if he has only one cup of wine, he leaves it for after he eats his food and arranges all the other blessings together thereafter. The Marah goes on to tell us that we can learn eight things from this Breitah, and our dot starts with the final two of those eight. Ushmamina Mina Omer Kosechan, We learn from this Breitah that if one only has a single cup of wine, he may recite two sanctifications over that single cup. And we also learn that this braita is in accordance with the ruling of Beit Shammai in the explanation of Rabbi Yehuda. He says that Beit Shammai maintained that one should recite the blessings over fire prior to the blessings over sprinkling. A bit further along down the the Gemara brings in another braita, this time dealing with the sources for the recitation of kiddush. al <speaking in> elabayom, <Hebrew> The sages taught in a breakah, regarding the verse, remember the day of Shabbat and sanctify it, from Exodus chapter 20, that we should remember Shabbat through wine, through the recitation of Kiddush. But the verse says, Thus, the sages ask, from where do we derive the obligation that we must recite the Kiddush at night? The answer they give is somewhat circular. They say, quoting a passage from the Bible, The Bible says, The Gemara goes on to sardonically ask, From where is it derived that one must recite Kiddush at night? From where is it derived that one must recite Kiddush at night? The essential mitzvah of Kiddush is to sanctify the day at night, as one must sanctify the beginning of the day. And as we know in the Jewish tradition, the beginning of the day actually begins at night. The Gemara goes on to further clarify by saying that the Tiama Shabbat Le means Zachor Hu El Hayyan Bechni Meaning that one should actually remember the day of Shabbat when Shabbat comes in. Thus, we say the Kiddush at night at the beginning of Shabbat, and that's the fulfillment of the Patsuk Zachor Tiama Shabbat Le Thus, now that the Gemara has proved that there is actual precedent for reciting the Kiddush at night, on Friday night, at the beginning of Shabbat. They ask the obvious logical question. So if we have the proof that it's justified to say Kiddush at night, where where does the proof come from that we're actually supposed to say Kiddush during the day? Here they emphasize the word Yom. So it's now clear that one should recite Kiddush both on Friday evening and on Saturday during the day. But it's also clear that the same Kiddush is not recited both on Friday night and on Saturday. So, the next question I ask is, What is actually said on Saturday to constitute Kiddush? Amara of Yehuda, Bori agafen. The brachah that's simply said is Bori Priyagathem. Blessed are you, creator of the fruit of the vine. Here, the Gemara brings in a very interesting demonstrative story, sort of like a ma'at, to illustrate what actually is said on Shabbat? What constitutes Kiddush on the day of Shabbat itself? Rab Ashi Iqlal Mechosa. Rab Ashi came from Mechosa. Amrule, M'Kedeshlan Mar Kiddusha Rabba. Avule. And they asked him, they asked Rab Ashi, Great Master, will you please recite for us the great Kiddush? And they immediately brought him a cup over which he was supposed to recite Kiddush. And this is kind of an amazing part of the story. my nevu Kiddusha Rabba. Rabbi Ashi thought to himself, reasoned to himself, what is this great kiddush? He wasn't familiar with this great kiddush. He wasn't from Nechoza. He didn't know the customs of the land. He didn't know the customs of the city. And he wasn't exactly sure what constituted kiddusha rabba, great kiddush. So here's this great rabbi who's asked to recite kiddusha rabba. He doesn't really know what that is. So he reasons to himself. Since all brachot that are said over wine begin with the words, brachah, brachah, That's what I'll start with. So that's exactly what he does. The Gemara tells us that he says, Bori si He lengthened his bracha, which could potentially mean that he improvised longer bracha, or he said a, an earlier different formula of the bracha that was longer than the moment the ad. But either way, he gave a lengthier version of boli si Still, he didn't know exactly when to stop. Was it the end of what they considered to be Kiddushar rabba So he picked up his eyes and looked at the crowd de He sees that there was an old man, a Saba, an older man, bending over his cup and drinking. And he came to the realization that this was probably the appropriate point at which to end the Kedusha Rabbah. After Ravashi takes his cue from this older man and determines that he has reached an appropriate point at which to conclude his Kidusha Rabbah, he recites to himself a Pasuk from Ecclesiastes from Kohele. The wise man, his eyes are in his head. Now, this is really kind of an amazing moment. Here's an example of Rabashi, someone who's clearly considered to be a great rabbi, who's given the honor when he arrives in Nachoza of saying the Kedusha Rabbah. And he doesn't exactly know what the Kedusha Rabbah is. So instead of imposing his practice upon the people of Nachoza, he literally opens his eyes and takes his cue from, from the crowd. He deems what seems to be appropriate based on the actions of the people of Nachoza and sees what they're doing. And takes his cues from them, despite the fact that he's this lofty rabbinic figure. He's the one who's actually following the custom of the land. I think this can teach us a very important lesson about the nature of minhag and custom. While Ravashi may have had his particular way of reciting the Kibbutz, he may have had his way set in his mind. He was more than open to exploring a different minhag, exploring different customs while he was away, while he was out of his city, out of his comfort zone. And he, Capitalized upon that, he took what the people there were doing and he incorporated it into his own Jewish. Uh, it's kind of a great moment, I think, of a rabbi or a figure learning from the people and taking an almost democratic approach to Jewish practice. The Gemara then moves back to a discussion of havdalah and focuses on the issue of when is the latest point that someone could say havdalah after the conclusion of Shabbat. Amri um, bnei Rabbi Chia. The sons of Rabbi Chia say, One who did not recite Havdalah at the conclusion of Shabbat may recite Havdalah any time over the course of the next week. The Kol Kulah. The Ad Kama, the Gemara asks, when is it actually the latest possible point you can say it? Amar Havdalah Rabbi Shabbat. Rabbi says, until Wednesday, until the fourth day of the week. The dot then goes on to further discuss when the latest point one can recite Havdalah is. But the last point I really want to focus on comes towards the end of the dot. There's an interesting question that's raised as to whether or not one who has eaten at the end of Shabbat before one, who's, before one has recited Havdalah may actually recite Havdalah. This is an interesting question because one who has eaten before one's recited Kiddush may no longer eat that night. One must recite Kiddush before one eats. And Hidush is part of the Habdala ceremony, part of the Habdala ritual. So, if one has already eaten, is it okay for one to say Habdalah, to partake in Habdala? Regarding this question, Rav Khuna says, If one has tasted, one can actually recite Habdalah. If one has tasted food or eaten food, this person may not recite Habdala. Here, the DAF gives us one more great illustrative story. Rab Yirmiya bar Abba Isla lebe Rav Once Rab Baraba bar Abba happened to come to the house of Rab Afi Ishtilei ukein forgot and tasted some food after Shabbat and before the recitation of Havdalah However, regardless of this Abba the Even though he forgot and ate food before Havdalah, they gave him a cup and he recited Havdalah Rab Asi's wife was shocked by this Amra Vetu and his wife said to him, But my master, you, my husband, you don't behave this way. You don't act this way. This isn't your practice. And Rab said to her, Amarla, shvake Kerabe Svirale. He said to his wife, Leave Ravyurmiya alone. Ravyurmya maintains in accordance with the opinion with the opinion of his Rav, who happens to be Rav. And as we learned earlier in the dock, Rav rules that if one eats before Havdalah, one still may recite Havdalah. This is a pretty amazing moment. Here we have Rav Yirmiyah, who's a guest at the house of Rav who engages in a religious practice that stands in direct opposition to Rav practice. This could be the ideal moment for a great rabbinic debate, a machloket to play out right there in his home. And Rav wife even says to him, Why aren't you saying anything? Aren't you going to debate him on this or at the very least correct him? Ravasi says no. Ravasi clearly has an immense amount of respect for Rav Yir-Miyah and acknowledges that he was merely following the opinion of his Rav, Rav. I think this story is a great example of the classic rabbinic concept of machloket at shemonei. Rav Yirmiyah and Ravasi have very different opinions on the nature of this halachic practice. For Rav Yir-Miyah, it's not a problem to eat and then recite hadlalamot shabbat. And for Rav Asi, it's deeply problematic to do so. <laughs> However, despite their opposing halachic views, Rav Asi displays deep tolerance for Rav practice. Like the great intellectual sparring partners of the Jewish tradition, from Hillel and Shammai to Rav and Shmuel to Heschel and Kaplan, even though these two sages disagreed with one another, they had an immense amount of respect for each other. I think that we, as 21st century liberal Jews, can learn a great deal from these two Amorites too often, we don't have enough respect for different approaches to Jewish practice. We can get very wrapped up in the precise nature of our practice and which legal ruling we decide to follow on a particular halachic point. But I think the rabbis here establish a good model for pluralism. Instead of concerning ourselves with the specifics of our practice, we should acknowledge the beauty of having a machlok at the Shem Sharmayim, and ultimately acknowledge that all forms of Jewish practice are being done for the sake of heaven. Even if you follow Rav Asi's view that one should not eat and then recite Havera, we should try to be more tolerant of the Rav Yim out there. We should all strive to be more like Rav Asi in this story and less like his wife. Thank you and I hope you enjoyed studying with me today. Please join me again tomorrow for page 107. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.